0: Hillary Clinton has endorsed Joe Biden for president. The woman who came this close to winning the presidency herself, Uh, After a lifetime of sacrificing her principles, her reputation, her personal happiness, and indeed her immortal soul to win that high office and then fell just short so that she was plunged into a whirlpooling inner darkness of endless excuses and recriminations, disguising an all-consuming personal hell of self-blame while she tried to ignore the specter of a wasted and essentially empty life in which she traded away the things that really matter for a grasp at ephemeral power and always elusive fame. Ah, I forgot where the sentence was going, but anyway, Hillary Clinton has endorsed Joe Biden for president in a statement broadcast live from the bottom of a bottle of Chardonnay, the former secretary of state and human being said, quote, Joe Biden is a man who blows with the political winds and says anything he has to in order to get elected to the office he wants all the while serially abusing women. And it turns out, that's just the sort of guy I go for. Man, oh man, a lot of people say I'm the kind of smart woman who just makes stupid choices when it comes to men, and ain't that the truth. I supported Bill all those years, trying to maintain a thin facade of dignity while that soulless opportunist humiliated me again and again with any pile of big hair wearing a skirt and heels. And now, what do you know? Here I am again, throwing away even the last wispy vestiges of my self-respect to endorse almost exactly the same person except stupid. You'd think one of these days I'd learn it isn't worth it, but I'm just a girl who can't say no to a guy who doesn't need to hear yes. Unquote. When asked if descriptions of what Biden did to Tara Reid reminded her of what Bill Clinton did to Monica Lewinsky, Mrs. Clinton responded, quote, close, but no cigar. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety boo. Birds are winging, also singing hunky duggy doo. shape ipsy topsy. The world is a zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray! It
1: makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray,
0: hooray! So one of the weird effects of the 24/7 news cycle is that we seem to have lost our collective memory. News comes so fast big stories flash on the screen, our attention is gripped, and then the story vanishes entirely. I wonder if I walked up to the ordinary person on the street today and asked him why President Trump was impeached, he would remember. I wonder if I asked him if President Trump was impeached, he would remember. It sort of makes sense that a constant barrage of information has a similar long-term effect to no information at all. When the excitement is perpetual, it's not excitement anymore. It's just another day. When the news is 24-7, it's not news. It's just noise. A result of this is that America is a country without a wilderness. That's kind of a funny statement when you remember that America was once a country defined by its wilderness. But I'm not talking about a wilderness of territory. I'm talking about a political wilderness, a spiritual place people have to go to when they've made a humiliating mistake and need to disappear for a while so the public can decide whether or not to forgive them. Brian Williams, good example. He was once the anchor of NBC Nightly News, one of the three biggest journalistic positions on television. He was caught telling lies. He said he was in a helicopter forced down by an RPG uh, over Iraq. He had said he had witnessed a suicide during Hurricane Katrina. He said he was in Berlin the night the wall came down. All of these stories were proven to be false, which is really, in a journalist, an inexcusable moral lapse. He was given a six-month suspension, then immediately reinstated at MSNBC, where he now has his own show. That's not an exile into the wilderness. That's a timeout in the sandbox. And yet, there he is, a proved liar, bloviating nightly. Does anybody remember? Senator Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York backed Hillary Clinton's bid for the presidency, despite the fact that Hillary helped silence women abused by her husband, Bill. She then became a big anti-sexual abuse crusader, helping to set the dogs on Brett Kavanaugh. And now she's backing Joe Biden because she says Biden has vehemently denied Tara Reid's allegation, which isn't true. Biden hasn't denied it because nobody has asked him about it. Nobody. His campaign has issued a denial, but does anyone care that Kirsten Gillibrand is a total fraud? Susan Rice, Obama's national security advisor, lied on every Sunday talk show about Benghazi. Today, she has an op-ed in the New York Times. Feminists were hysterical about Brett Kavanaugh. I'll show you some of this later. And now they're silent about Joe Biden. Our media has lied and lied about President Trump, Russian collusion, Charlottesville support of Nazis. Now this Clorox story, one lie or distortion after another. Much of it Distracting us from what now seems to have been deep corruption in the scandal-free Obama administration. But Democrats keep buying their New York Times and believing every word they read. There's no payback. There's no exposure. There's no wilderness. There's not even forgiveness because no one can remember what you should be blamed for. People complain about cancel culture and they should. But what about a culture without any cancellations at all, without any repercussions at all? I now believe cancel culture is actually a small part of a larger phenomenon a society where the unconnected can be destroyed for the smallest mistake and the connected can't be destroyed for any reason at all. All right, let us talk about ReadyWise, which we used to call Wise Food. This is our sponsor Wise Company, and they've changed their name to ReadyWise, but they are still making excellent long-term nutritional food options. They have emergency meals, freeze-dried fruits and vegetables for convenient on-the-go nutrition, new adventure meals for hiking, camping, and other outdoor activities. And I know what you're saying. Why would I ever be stuck in my house worrying about whether I could get food? Oh, wait. This is a perfect time to get yourself some ready-wise meals. They make bean prepared simple and affordable. They order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. When we're preparing these meals, all you need is four cups of water. The water doesn't even need to be hot. You simply pour the food into water, stir, and cover. About After about 15 minutes, the meal is ready, and some meals can even be prepared directly in the pouch. This week, my listeners can get free shipping at ReadyWise.com when entering Claven at checkout or by calling 855-474-4084. ReadyWise has a 90-day, no-questions-asked return policy, so there's no risk taking the initiative to get yourself and your family prepared today. That's ReadyWise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code CLAVEN to get free shipping and even if you call them you' want, want to tell them to spell Claven just so they know you know how to spell Claven it's K L A.
1: there are no easy. Things.
0: All right, we got the Wuhan Malbag coming up, spreading wisdom uh, like a virus. And I'm on All Access tonight, not Knowles. Knowles will be on on Thursday. And this is the last week that the All Access Hangouts are open to all members. Uh, Sunday, May 3rd will be the last day that all members can access them. So if you're not an All Access member already, you should head over to dailywire.com and upgrade uh, today. I'm not scheduled for another All Access this week, so this episode is the last one that all members can access. Remember, we started doing this. We said we're going to make them available to everybody uh, because we're all locked down. But now that the country's starting to open again, uh, you want to go to dailywire.com and use coupon code live to get 20% off your upgrade to all access. So an exchange between our president and a uh, Yahoo News reporter. All right. And it, because I want to show this. It's a long clip, but it's worth watching because it illustrates everything that's wrong with the way we're getting the news.
1: Mr. President, overall, South Korea has done
0: five times more tests than the U.S. per capita. Why is that? I don't think that's true. That that is true. And you said this morning that the White House said the U.S. passes South Korea in virus testing. Who are you with? Uh, Yahoo News. And it's not true per capita. Uh, Do you want to respond to that, if you have the numbers?
2: Sure, I have the numbers. So, remember early on, we pushed tests to the outbreak areas, just like he described. His primary outbreak was in Miami-Dade and Broward County and Palm Beach so they pushed test into that region we did the same thing in the United States so if you look at every single state that had an outbreak their testing is greater than anywhere in the world they're in the 4 per you know 42 per thousand range so to our Yahoo gentlemen I just want to make it clear that um, South Korea's testing was 11 per Per 100,000, and we're at 17 per 100,000. Right. So- are you
0: going to apologize, Yahoo? That's why you're Yahoo, and nobody knows who that you are. Go ahead. Based on the numbers I've seen, that's why nobody knows who you are, including me. Go ahead, Mr. President. Just, Just check to- it again. Okay. You ought to get your facts right before Wait, you. Well, we have had right we now. have had 14. Okay, when your facts are right. wrong. That was brutal. But the guy apologizes in a tweet, and he says. Uh, We have passed South Korea in the number of tests conducted per capita. I misread the mobile version. I apologize. Sorry about that, Donald Trump. Our infection rate is far higher, though, as I noted. But that's nonsense, because if you remove New York, we almost have no infection rate. This is a country of 330 million people. You can't compare this to South Korea. There's a lot of ignorance about this virus. Our scientists, God bless them, are learning at amazing new rates. They're bringing in information at amazing rates. But there's ignorance on one side, and there's just stupidity and innumeracy on the other, and that is making for some very, very bad news, meaning bad news uh, delivery. All right, let me show you what I mean. Uh, Well, you know, uh, let me play you this one quick scene from Blade Runner. This is Cut 19. Uh, My friend Brett Smith found this. It's a genius find, and it will tell you why the press is doing what it's doing. Quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. (laughs) <laughs> that's what it is. Living in fear is how you become a slave. And that's the truth. That is the truth. I have been telling you the same thing over and over. It, yeah, uh, yep. I believe in caution. Yep. I believe we should save the Clavin, but you know, that's uh, obviously the entire country. It's like, I'm the still point around which the entire country, uh, spins. So you don't want the country to spin out of control by losing me. However, however, caution and fear, are two different things Common sense and fear are two different things. Screaming and yelling on the one hand about oh our liberties are being uh, you know crushed, which I don't think is actually true. On the on the one hand is wrong, but on the other hand, shelter in place forever which is the thing that like Eric Garcetti is saying, well, because we sheltered in place, we have no immunity. So we have to shelter in place to keep our immunity because we have no immunity. I mean, that's like the Quaker Oats box. It's like what's called an infinite regress or or what you would call a hall of mirrors, just reflecting back and back and back. With that logic, you can never get out of anywhere. So here's a story that just kind of proves the point. And I want to say that I got this comparison uh, from Oliver Darcy's column on CNN business. The conclusions are my own, but the comparison I, I got from him, and I want to point that out, Two doctors, Dan Erickson and Arton Masahi, uh, put out a YouTube video saying they they run uh, they're co-owners of an urgent care clinic in Bakersfield, California. They say that their numbers show that this is basically like the flu, and so we are overreacting.
1: What is materializing in the state of California is twelve percent positives. Well, if we we have thirty nine point five million people, if we just take a basic calculation and extrapolate that out, that equates to about 4.7 million cases throughout the state of California, which means this thing is widespread. That's the good news. We've seen 1,227 deaths in the state of California with a possible uh, incidence or prevalence of 4.7 million. That means you have a 0.03 chance of dying from COVID-19 in the state of California. 0.03 chance of dying from COVID in the state of California is that does that necessitate sheltering in place does that necessitate shutting down medical systems does that necessitate people being out of work so you know this is this
0: went viral. Two million. Now YouTube has a policy of shutting down any information that they don't like. Basically, it is amazing. Susan, uh, what's her name? Susan uh, Wojcicki, well, I guess it's pronounced. Uh, she went on Brian Stelter's show. Now Brian couldn't be there because he had to go home and climb into bed and start crying. He had to take his teddy bear and his Disney Princess nighty uh, and curl up. But but he interviewed her from afar from his bed. He was sobbing in between. It's ugly stuff. I won't play his part. But but she says we're not letting on information that we feel is medically unsound. And here's what she said.
2: We've served uh, so many different areas to make sure that users are getting the right information. Um, We've actually seen a 75% increase in the, um, um, news coming from authoritative sources since the beginning of 2020. Um, so we've seen a, a lot of demand there. Um, but then we also what does ta-
1: that mean? That means an increase in, in video views for those.
2: Yeah, and so we talk about that as raising authoritative information. Um, but then we also talk about um, removing information that is problematic. You know, of course, anything that is medically unsubstantiated. So people saying like, take vitamin C. Um, you know, um, take turmeric. Like those are all will cure you. Um, those are the examples of things that would be a violation of our policy. Um, Anything that would go against World Health Organization recommendations would be a violation of our policy. And so remove is another really important part of our policy.
0: So they're removing stuff that doesn't go with the who, who have been spreading disinformation since this began and working basically in hand in hand with China. Uh, So, you know, it's it's a bad policy. So they take down these two doctors. These two doctors are saying there's no reason to shelter in place. We're finding this is no worse than the flu. So they take it down. So the comparison that I saw on this CNN, this Oliver Darcy column was Tucker Carlson reacted to this. Here is his reaction. It's cut three.
1: You may remember what they first told us back in February and March. They said we have to take radical steps in order to, quote, flatten the curve. Well, six weeks later, we're happy to say that curve has been flattened, but it's likely not because of the lockdowns. The virus just isn't nearly as deadly as we thought it was, all of us, including on this show, everybody thought it was. But it turned out not to be. Hospitals never collapsed. Outside of a tiny number of places, they never came close to collapsing, at least not from an influx of infected patients. Instead, something remarkable happened, something amazing, really without parallel in American history. The opposite happened. Thanks to the lockdowns, hospitals have begun to collapse. Why? From a lack of patients. Politicians who couldn't pass ninth grade biology decided that practicing physicians should not be allowed to calculate the risk of transmitting the virus. They're just not qualified, unlike us.
0: See, now, the one thing I have to point out, I like Tucker. He's a good guy, and he says original things. I disagree with him uh, a a percentage of the time, but... But we have to remember that he was the first guy to say this thing is coming. We should panic. It's a bad thing. He's you know, I think the administration was affected by some of the stuff that Tucker was saying. So now, I mean, all I would say about that is that maybe a tone of a little bit of more humility would be a good thing, because I've been preaching to you from the beginning. We have to know what we don't know and we don't know a lot now, too. So here's Chris Hayes reacting to Tucker Carlson.
1: Good evening from New York. I'm Chris Hayes. There's a concerted effort on the part of influential people at the cable network that we at All In call Trump TV right now to peddle dangerous misinformation about the coronavirus. Call it coronavirus trutherism. And the question at issue is one whose answer should be obvious to everyone. Is this disease really as deadly as the vast majority of experts tell us it is, as we've all seen with our own eyes? Last night, one Trump TV host told his viewers that all those experts were wrong we should lift the lockdowns because it is just not as deadly as we thought. See, now, first of all,
0: this, this, is, uh, this is the two sides, I think, are just wrong in this. And, and Chris Hayes on MSNBC is wrong. He quotes a doctor saying the first doctors were using methods that are ludicrous to get results that are completely implausible. The thing about this is, and some of this I'm getting from Holman Jenkins Jr. because he is the one and only columnist who's not innumerate. He, he actually knows how to use numbers. The thing is, when you say that this is only like the flu... The flu only kills 35,000 Americans on average a year because we have vaccines and because we have uh, acquired immunity. In the old days, these same flus used to kill 200,000 what would be the equal the equivalent of 200,000 deaths in today's population okay so the flu saying it's just the flu it's just it's a new flu so we don't, we're not prepared for it we don't have the immunity for it we don't have the vaccines that we have for the flu so it's killing a lot of people and eventually we'll get the immunity and we'll get vaccines that will will hopefully we'll phase it off and the vaccines seem to be coming a lot faster so the thing is that whatever you do it's a trade off what sweden did is a trade off what sweden did was they said we're going to take the disease now we're going to protect our old people we're going to save whatever is kläven in swedish uh klävon cl- i think is in swedish they're going to save the klävon uh in over there but everybody else is going to just be careful you're Swedes so you're responsible people who care about one another as opposed to Americans and you just be careful and do what you have to do to keep this low so there in other words they're trading off they're trading off diseases now for diseases later and they are betting uh, that that's that's going to come out to the same thing without hurting their economy as much as our economy has been hurt it's all a trade-off. It is all a trade-off. It's a complicated trade-off. And one of the reasons I am so trusting of Donald Trump, as I keep saying, is because his interests are not just aligned with mine. His interests are aligned with common sense. He doesn't want people to die because that is bad for him. He doesn't want business to shut down forever because that's bad for him. He is the only person, really, I mean, who seems to have found the middle way. And maybe maybe he made a mistake in shutting down. We can debate that forever. But he decided that he was going to take this path. The difference, what I'm trying to say is that the difference is not between good and bad information. This guy's an idiot. This is an outrage. This is absurd. The difference is we need all the information so we can decide. YouTube has no business censoring anybody. This distrust of the people, this idea that these experts know what they're doing and the people are fools, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. I mean, we need all the information and we need to hear debate. The problem, again, is that we don't have a mediator, a media, uh, a media that we can turn to, except maybe the Wall Street Journal and maybe Brett Baier show on Fox. Those are the two places where you can go and hear the conversation and hear sensible people saying things on both sides and try and make up your mind about what you want to do. Ultimately, the decision about opening the country not only should belong to the people, but it's going to belong to the people. And the, that means that the press should get us all the information and not be afraid and not stop pushing fear to make us slaves and stop pushing, you know, kind of uh, uh, Bolshevik return to, to work to make sure that we're all Thomas uh, Paine. You know, we don't need either of that. We just need all the information told honestly. All right. Let us talk about, listen, you got to get some exercise. You got to get out. And Rad Power Bikes are very, very cool because you can not only pedal them, they also have, uh, you know, a, a motor. So, but you don't need a special driver's license like you would for a moped. It's a cross between a traditional bike and a moped. You can go up to 20 miles an hour without pedaling so you can get out and around without getting sweaty, or you can use them and at, like a bike. Unlike other e-bikes, they're actually affordable. Plus, to show appreciation for those that serve us, Rad Power Bikes is offering 100 bucks off all e-bike purchases for active ex-military, first responders, teachers, and students. If you know someone who loves being active outdoors, tell them about Rad Power Bikes. Rad Power Bikes offer flexible financing for as low as 0% APR. And right now, as a limited time offer, you can get a free accessory with the purchase of a bike. Get a free gift of up to $100 in value and free shipping to the lower 48 states. To get this special offer, text the word POWER to 64000. That's POWER to 64000. Text POWER to 64000. All right, um, I want I want to go back in time a little bit and talk about our our old friend uh, Joe Biden. Uh, yesterday, Hillary Clinton endorsed Joe, which uh, really is funny given her taste in, in men, and Joe says he's going to keep calling Hillary for advice. Here is Joe flattering uh, Hillary cut 12.
1: You want to thank Hillary for joining us in this conversation today and Hillary, I'm going to keep calling and asking for your advice. Uh, the coronavirus is a shining a bright light on the equities in our country, and there's so much work to do. But I have no doubt we can meet these challenges brought on by this virus if we work together.
0: So here's the advice when he calls Hillary, which he'll never do, but that, <laughs> here's the advice she's going to give him. This is cut thirteen.
2: This would be a terrible crisis to waste, as the old saying goes. We've learned a lot about what our absolute. uh, frailties are in our country when it comes to health justice and economic justice. So, you know, let's be resolved that we're going to solve those once you're elected president.
0: Yeesh. <laughs> so, yeah, every, every everything is pushing him to the left. And of course, since he's just a plant, he's just a house plant at this point. He's not actually a sentient uh, creature. Uh, I Is it me? Every time I hear that voice now, when I hear Obama and when I hear Hillary, I just I like, ah, I'm so happy those voices are not that. Can you imagine what it would be like to turn? I mean, I mean, Trump can be abrasive. He can be abrasive, but it's not like that to hear that. Come on. <laughs> come on, man. So I have been talking about these accusations uh, about Joe Biden, Tara Reid's accusation that in 1993 he pushed her up against a wall and digitally raped her. That's an accusation. There's there's corroborating evidence. People who say she told them about it at the time. People who come out and none of the people are anonymous. They're actually coming out and giving their names, so that has some weight. Uh, but again, we don't know, and it's not again the story up till now is not about. The uh, charges, it's not about Biden, it's about the press. It is about what we are learning about the press and what's being proved about the press, but it's also true about feminists, about activists, about female, you know, activists for female liberty. I want to take you back in time to the Kavanaugh thing. Now, remember, the Kavanaugh uh, accusations were completely uncorroborated. There's no proof that Christine Blasey Ford ever met Brett Kavanaugh. The people she said would back her up didn't back her up. Here is what happened to women when, here's what women did during the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, Let's, we'll go first to that uh, CNN clip. Yeah.
2: These are live images, folks, at
0: the doors of the Supreme Court where you can see protesters have gathered. They are demanding that their voices be heard. This thing about voices being heard is a phrase that should be banned from the English language. What does it even mean? You know, it doesn't mean, I mean, anybody's voice can be heard. You speak up, your voice will be heard. But these women hysterically banging on the Supreme Court doors, banging on the Supreme Court doors because a woman made an unsubstantiated charge. that was uncorroborated. Okay, so a woman made a charge and now they're banging on the Supreme Court doors. And and don't let's not forget Jeff Flake. Remember Jeff Flake, who was going to speak truth to power, and then vanished without a trace because he was constantly attacking uh, Trump. He got on the elevator, and these activists crowded on the elevator with him. And this is this is the confrontation. I was actually
2: assaulted. Nobody believed you. me. I didn't tell anyone. And your t- women that they don't matter, that they should just stay quiet because if they tell you what happened to them, you're going to ignore them. That's what happened to me. And that's what you're telling all women in America, that they don't matter. They should just keep it to themselves because if they have told the truth, you're just going to help that man to power anyway.
0: The tear filled voice. I was assaulted. And nobody believes me, and now you're doing the same thing to Christine Blasey Ford. That logic, that amazing feminist logic, that it happened to me, therefore uh, everybody who is charged is guilty. I mean, we saw this in the press, and not just, but but we're seeing it here from feminists. You know, a long time ago, I was on Gretchen Carlson's show on Fox on a little panel, maybe three p- people. And I said out loud, you know, why is the National Organization of Women a leftist organization? And they all jumped on me, including Gretchen. They all were like, what are you talking about? What are you? Well, it's a leftist. And I said, but why should an organization for women be leftist? Why should the assumption be that leftism and feminism are good for women? Why shouldn't you have an organization about women that explores what paths are best for most women? But now is a leftist organization. Feminism is a leftist cause, which presumes, it assumes that leftism and feminism are good for women. I question that. I question whether leftism and feminism are good for women at all. Obviously, women's rights, absolutely good for women, good for America, good for everybody. But feminism, feminism itself, and now we see that that performance, and that was an activist who wasn't just a, a random woman, that performance, which caused Jeff Flake to cave in and delay uh, Kavanaugh's uh, uh, confirmation, it caused Jeff Flake to cave in because he was confronted like that by a screaming, crying woman with those tears in her voice and all that emotionalism that caused him to cave in. Now we see that. Where is it now? Where is that woman now? Why Why isn't she crowding into elevators? Why isn't she over at the New York Times? Uh, confronting Dean Becket saying, what do you mean you're not covering it? Cause you're not covering it. What does that mean? Where, why wh- I was, why, why is not she saying now, you know, I was sexually assaulted. No one believed me. And now this woman is, is saying she was sexually assaulted and no one will even listen to her. No one will question. No one has asked Joe Biden the question he gave, I think it was yesterday. He gave a woman's t- town hall. No one asked him the question. So All of this activism is just leftism. It's all just leftism. I've been saying this for a long time. If it's about, it's not about race, it's about leftism. If the words come out of their mouth, oh, this is racism, this race of black people, black, oh, the black people... It's leftism. It's not about black people because the question is an open question whether or not leftism is good for black people, whether or not feminism is good for actual women. Whenever I hear a woman say something and some feminist says, well, that sets feminism back 20 years, I think, who cares? Who cares whether it sets feminism back 20 years? What's it do for women? Okay. You know, Breitbart, uh, the Breitbart side, a guy named Ezra Dulles there came up with this 2008 article from a very far left uh, magazine uh, by Alexander Coburn, a very famous leftist writer. He's uh, he was half brother to my friend, uh, Sarah Cardwell, the mystery writer, but he's the uncle of Olivia Wilde. The Coburn family is a very left wing, famous left wing family. So this is what he wrote. He said Biden is a note. This is 2008. Biden is a notorious flapjaw. His vanity deludes him into believing that every word that drops from his mouth is minted in the golden currency of Pericles. Vanity is the most conspicuous characteristic of U.S. senators on block nourished by deferential acolytes and often expressed in loudish sexual advances to staffers, interns, and the like. On more than one occasion, Counterpunch's editors have listened to vivid accounts by the recipient of just such advances. This staffer of another senator being accosted by Biden in the well of the Senate in the weeks immediately following his first wife's fatal car accident. A staffer being accosted by Biden in the weeks following his first wife's fatal car accident. You know, Feminists, to me, like are, are like a stereotype of women by men who don't like women, you know? I mean, me- men who don't like women become macho idiots. Men who don't like women ultimately only rely on masculine logic and they become macho idiots. Women who don't like men become hysterical, irrational female stereotypes. Feminists, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's so reliable that feminists are the first people to become irrational stereotypes of women. Women are not like that. Women as in general, I mean, again, I've always said that the, the way women react to the world is so different from the way that I react to the world that I've had to pause and say, well, wait a minute, where is the wisdom in this? And then you find, oh yeah, there is, there is wisdom in the womanly way of looking at the world. It is not my wisdom. We have to put those two kinds of viewpoints together to get a three-dimensional view of the world. Feminism has cut that view off by making men the enemy and they have become stereotypes of themselves all right we got the mailbag coming up the wuhan special wuhan edition of the mailbag because it spreads wisdom uh like a disease like a virus but (laughs) but first I am counting on you men who are locked down with your wives to start a baby boom. We always need a baby boom of good people. There's never too many good people. You can always have more good people. You're not going to have a baby boom if your beard smells bad and is out, is unruly. That's why you need Beard Supply if you want to get the baby boom started now. This is a time I, I've been using this Beard Supply. It's, it cleans your beard, but it also makes it smell good. It really is nice. A full, healthy beard isn't just something you can order on Amazon prime, your beard gets dry, itchy, patchy, and at its worst, as sparse as the face mask aisle on your local hardware store, beard supplies, 100% natural oils, change all of that, hydrate your skin and hair, and lead to a fuller, healthier, better, looking beard. As you can tell, just by looking at me, whether you've been bearded for years or just experimenting during quarantine, you can keep your beard healthy, hydrated, soft, and sm- smelling great. So get the baby boom smarted for a limited time. Beard Supply is offering my listeners 25% off. I'm a terrible human being. I'm just ashamed to be myself. Go to BeardSupply.com and use the promo code CLAVEN for 25% off all oils, soaps, bombs, and grooming supplies. That's BeardSupply.com. Promo code Claven, Your beard can be so much better. Go to BeardSupply.com today and learn how you spell Claven's beard. There <laughs> <are> <laughs> <no eating things. laughs> That's right. I just make it look easy. Remember, I'm on tonight, 5 o'clock uh, California time, 8 o'clock. Eastern time, but it's the last time I will be on where all members will be able to get it. You want to upgrade to the all access member. And when you become an all access member or an insider plus member, we will send you two of these solid gold diamond encrusted leftist tiers tumblers, which are different than all other solid gold leftist uh, tier tumblers by not being solid gold or diamond encrusted. In fact, Uh, come on over and subscribe at dailywire.com. All right, mailbag.
2: Woo! Yeah,
0: boy! <laughs> Never, ever play that again. Oh, my God. Uh, from Casey, dear Paul Seer of all things, of all the commentators, you and Ben have seemed to be the most level-headed and multifaceted when covering the China virus. I have found that you seem to have this sense of calm during this whole crisis, uh, trying to glean information during this crisis. It can be hard to not become anxious, not be filled with despair about the future, which with phrases like national suicide or greatest mistake in the history of the n- nation, almost verbatim from Matt Walsh to describe the responses to the Kung flu. It seems like me, to me, my future will entail mass unemployment, hyperinflation, poverty, hunger, destruction of supply lines and the economy and societal breakdown, all of which was inflicted carelessly by our officials, while the damage is already done and cannot be reversed i know that no one knows what our futures hold and i am aware that the woo flu is dangerous and is something to take seriously with precautions How have you been able to be immersed in this world and still find some hope and optimism? One thing I want to point out is that Ben and I have remained uh, the most balanced. Uh, The one thing I've just always noticed, I've said this before, is that Ben and I almost always agree on the facts. He and I have some different values. Uh, We see things differently. I have a much more internal sense of the way people are living. Maybe I've also lived longer and that has a way of uh, changing the way you see things. But we almost always describe the world uh, very, very similarly. I mean, almost all the time. And, and I think the thing is, look, I've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of predictions of catastrophe. I've seen some catastrophes. And the one thing I know is that the way predictions work is that you, if you come on, if I came on here every day and predicted, oh, tomorrow, this is going to be World War III. Tomorrow, this is going to be, a f- that we're going to have famines. Tomorrow, there's going to, oh, there's going to be an absolute flu will be destroyed. Uh, all our, you know, uh, uh, internet connectivity is going to be destroyed. Eventually, something bad would happen. And I would say, see, I told, I'm going to replay the tape that I, where I predicted this. Okay. And that's all you'd remember. You wouldn't remember all the times I predicted catastrophe where it didn't happen. And not only that, you would tune in because you get addicted to the fear. You get addicted to the excitement. It sort of plays into those fears you have. We all have fears. We're environment, uh, evolutionarily, we're evolved to have fears because the fearful guys are the guys who saw that the big tiger was coming and they're the ones who hit out before anybody else. So we have a lot of fear inside us. But the thing about it is most days, these catastrophes don't happen, and nobody notices that, and nobody notices also that because your life is finite, if you waste all those days waiting for catastrophe to happen and waiting in fear, and then you die at 99 in bed with a couple of women, you know, you will have wasted all that time living in fear. You know, you'll have wasted your life living in fear. Disasters happen, there are whirlpools of evil. The Holocaust is a whirlpool of evil. The flu after World War One, World War I itself, a whirlpool of destruction and evil, those things happen. But they may not happen today. And if you waste today, it's never coming back. And your life is a series of today's. And if you waste enough of them, you will have wasted your entire life. We are always, look, you can always die. And death is permanent. You know, there's another life after this, I truly believe. But this life is gone. And once it's gone, it's gone. So you're always walking on water. And what do we know about, you know, because... Any time you could be hit, you know, I could, I'm in California, there could be an earthquake, the beams could fall on my head, I could be gone like that, okay? That's what we're always living with, and simply we push it out of our minds uh, so that we can go forward, and you have to do a lot of that. So what do we know about walking on water? We know when uh, Peter said to Jesus, you know, Let, I want to walk on water, too. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus and wasn't afraid, he could walk on the water. But when he stopped looking at Jesus and he looked down, he started to sink. And Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. So you have to have some faith in God and faith in God doesn't mean good things are going to happen. Faith in God just means that God has got this and he's got you in this life and beyond. He's got you over the whole period of eternity and you've got to have some trust in that. That most of the time, most days are not a disaster. And the question of being, you know, again, you know, common sense precautions. You know, I don't drive at 150 miles an hour. You know, I drive somewhere on the speed limit. I don't, you know, I, when I take a risk, I know that I'm taking a risk and I'm doing it to get a reward. OK, so I have jumped off cliffs wearing like a little parachute because I knew I was going to get a thrill. It was worth it to me. If I had fallen and died, I would have made the wrong calculation. You have to live. We have to live. We have to get back to work. We have to do the things we do. We have to understand that there are new risks and we have to take care, you know, to try and limit our exposure to them. But no, is, you know, will the economy come back? I'm pretty confident it will. I could be wrong. There could be a massive crash, a massive uh, depression. There could be, but there was nothing wrong with this economy to begin with. And there's no reason it can't be rebuilt. And there's no reason we shouldn't be optimistic. I mean, the most likely thing, The most likely thing is that slowly but surely we rebuild the economy and people come back, especially if Trump stays in office and we don't have that that, uh, piece of potato uh, elected. But yeah, you know, just listening to every uh, catastrophic prediction is going to make you crazy. There's no reason to think that they, they, as you say, we don't know the future. We have to live in faith. We have to live in the faith that God has got us and God has got history and, and go through. And when the bad things happen, courage, fortitude. If you know you're going to have courage, if you know you're going to have fortitude, if you know you're going to find a way through, why panic now? All right, from a grandmother in Wyoming, I have heard you state that God's word of the Bible is inerrant and in essence breathed into its writers from God. You've also stated that you think these writers can make, made mistakes, but can make mistakes was what I said. I'm not sure how these two statements can both be true. I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Also, if mistakes were made, then doesn't that start a downward slide and open the whole of, to, of the text to validity questions? Well, <laughs> all right, first of all, on the last point, just because a truth prov- presents you with a situation you'd rather not be presented with doesn't make it any less the truth right the text is always open to validity questions it's open to validity questions whether you admit that it could be mistaken in places or not okay it, it, so the fact that it's open to validity questions is not a problem i mean you ha- you have to have faith you have to have faith that you are hearing from god and that this is the book that god wants you to have about himself which i truly do have faith about If you're a grandmother in Wyoming, then you have lived long enough to know, and this is just the plain spoken truth, an angel of the Lord with big feathery wings could descend beside a human being and whisper in his ears and dictate and tell him to take notes, and that human being could still make a mistake in translation. He could still let his own passions get in the way. He could still let his own forgetfulness get in the way. He could still let his own sin get in the way and make errors. When I read the Bible, I don't find like one error after another, but I do find different ways of speaking. I do find different genres, and I do find a couple of things where I think, you know, that's not, I don't quite think that that's what was said there. One or or two things, Uh, like uh, just to give you an example, when Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me, and then in another gospel, he says, he who is not against me is with me. I think one of those guys (laughs) probably didn't get that right. It's a complicated world. It's a complicated world god you know the the muslims believe that their book is the actual word of god every word is god's word i don't believe that i believe the book is breathed by god into human beings and human beings are human beings and that just leaves me free to find my way in faith. It doesn't mean I can just say, oh, it's there in the Bible, but I don't believe it. I don't believe that. I believe it's the inerrant word of God, you know, but it is. He, I believe God wants us to have it in this particular way. And that's the way we have to uh, live with it. it. It's complicated. It's much more complicated than just saying the Bible said it, I believe it, and that's all there is to it. Because 99% of the time people saying that, they're, they actually aren't quoting the Bible. They're quoting their interpretation of the Bible. And it's just the same, same thing. It's just as uh, unreliable and open the validity questions as if they took my tack and said, let us read this as a text and see what it means. Uh, from Shelley, Uh, I would like to get your thoughts about the purity culture of the 90s. I raised my three teens in that time, and now the two girls are coming back at me saying the church burdened them with guilt about sexual activity. In fact, they have rebelled at many of the church teaching. My kids didn't date much in high school because they were good girls. Now they think too much was expected. Thank you for taking our questions. God bless you. First of all, let me uh, tell you, Shelley, that when my kids do this uh, seriously, as uh, this drives them absolutely insane, I tell them there's a hierarchy. There's God and then there's me, and then there's you, and God doesn't care when I criticize him, and I don't care when you criticize me. You did the best you could under the circumstances, and because they lived in purity culture, they may have felt guilt, but they didn't get uh, diseases. Uh, they didn't get pregnant. They didn't have to wonder if they should have an abortion or, God forbid, have an abortion and live with that for the rest of their lives. You gave them some good stuff. If they have some guilt, let them go to a therapist and get over it. There is, sex is not a system that's made to work sexuality is not a system that's made to work there is no system that works and you can say well the best thing is if we all just get married and only have sex in marriage yeah that's the safest thing but it's not the thing that people do it is not the thing that people do and it doesn't deal with men's incredible passionate desire to have lots of different women it doesn't deal with uh, women's desire to have men that they maybe shouldn't have sometimes you know it we have all these passions it's a sex is a very wild dionysian passion and there is no system that works, okay? But telling your kids to stay uh, virgin until they get married is at least telling them the safest possible thing. And if that purity culture, which I didn't grow up in and I didn't live by, but if it causes guilt, if you had taught them something else, it might have caused them to get uh, you know, viruses that now would give them cancer. So like tell them that there there's God, there's their father, there's you and there's them <laughs> and you don't criticize the people above and they don't have to criticize you because you did the best you could and listen, you gave them a lot of good stuff. Um, from joe this is a tremendously long letter and i'm not going to read the whole thing cuz it's just it's just too long but uh, to give you the the details uh, he says my girlfriend attends a predominantly female trade school a sort of offbeat girl came into this trade school and was bullied uh, when this uh, when his girlfriend contacted her the girl said she was suicidal and uh, the girlfriend then became Uh, sort of the go-to person for the suicidal girl and is now, and then she was going to, the girlfriend was going to report this to the heads of the school, but then the lockdown came and so she can't report it. And so now she's in this uh, online conversation, suicidal girl, girlfriend, and the suicidal girl says she wants to meet, she wants to be on FaceTime, and the girlfriend doesn't know what to do. So Here's what I want to tell you. You are not responsible for this girl. This is above your pay grade. You were very nice. First of all, I really appreciate how nice you've been, how concerned you've been, uh, that you're a human being, that you stood up to the bullies, that you didn't do what the bullies did. You didn't join with the mean girls. That's all very beautiful. This is above your pay grade. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to help this person. What you have to do is, if you can call the heads of the school and report her behavior, you should. If you can contact them now, even in lockdown, you should. You should tell this girl you can't help her. And you don't have to cut her off, but just send very short responses saying, I can't help you. I wish I could. You need to get help. You need to get help. You need to get professional help. If she answers that by escalating and saying, I'm going to commit suicide, call the police. That's what they're there for. You can't do anything about this. You have no power here. And so you have to acknowledge you have no power and protect yourself. You can be kind. You can keep saying, love you. You know, I'm sorry you feel bad. uh, You know, get some help. But you can't let her escalate and become dependent on you and manipulative of you you with threats of suicide. You just have to know what you don't know and know what you can't do. Um, I'm going to read one more of these. It's getting late, but still. uh, From Mac, uh, I decided to pose my question to you instead of the other podcast host because I know you were uh, an atheist for a while. Uh, I struggled to become comfortable with faith I have a vested interest in the purpose of existence, and I want badly to believe in God. I can't seem to transmute an argument into an actual belief system. I consistently read authors such as C.S. Lewis and Dostoevsky, and I find their Christian arguments to be incredibly convincing, but I can't seem to overcome my doubt and make the leap of faith. My question is, did you feel this type of volatility when you made your leap of faith? And if so, do you have any advice on how to overcome it? It's almost an exact description of what I went through. I mean, you go on saying there are many friends who are perfectly happy without God in their lives and they have Christian morals, but they don't seem to think faith is necessary, so why do I need faith, but I feel I do. Exact description of what happened to me, an exact description. At some point, I understood that my arguments for the existence of God were sound, but I still couldn't believe. Why? Because I was in the narrative the surrounding narrative, which is like an atmosphere, you don't even know you're breathing it in, an atmosphere of doubt, an atmosphere of scientism, not science, but scientism, the idea that science has somehow solved everything and now we know it's a clockwork universe with no spirit in it, all nonsense. That's just an atmosphere of narrative that you're breathing in and it makes it impossible to believe. I defeated this, I got past this, of knowing that it was true that there was God, but being unable to believe by praying. I, one day on a, just an, a flyer, because I was read about it in a book, I said a three-word prayer, which was, thank you, God. And it so transformed my life, that three-word prayer. God was waiting for me to reach out. God's incredibly gracious, incredibly graceful. And when you give him anything to work with, he will work with it, okay? So when I started to pray, I thought, wow, everything looks different now. I'm going to keep doing this because I'm not an idiot, okay? So I prayed. Sometimes I didn't believe. Sometimes I had doubts, but I just kept praying every day, I just pray a little bit, maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes ago, my prayers got longer and longer and longer as I went along when I start to see, oh, I'm getting tremendous benefit from this. And still, even when I got benefit from it, I would say to myself, well, maybe this is just kind of self psychiatry, maybe I'm just healing myself. But over time I thought, no, I'm getting insights that I would not have had if they were not given to me by God, I'm having things happen to me in my life, I'm seeing life in a different way, I'm seeing coincidence and incidents in different ways than I saw them before. And all of that is more realistic. It's helping me to predict what's going to happen it's helping me to know my fellow man in a more honest and loving way it is transforming my life and so what i did was i took the leap of action not the leap of faith i decided i've proved my point my heart isn't there but i'm going to act as if the proof of my point is a good proof because i know it is and once i started to act on that and actually talk to god god responded and i think that that's that's the only way i know how to get around the problem because it is a real problem because this narrative thing is so so powerful. We do this. is why This is why I rant about the narrative all the time. This is why I shake my fist at the press all the time because I know they're creating a narrative of falsehood, and I know even though we think we're rising above it, it's affecting us. And that's and that's what you have to do. You have to act. You know, there's a line from David Mamet in The Verdict: "Act as if you have faith, and faith shall be given to you." I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, I don't think it's right to say, I act as if there's a God forever. I think eventually you have to say, no, I'm right. But I think you can come to that place through prayer uh, and by acting as if the, the logic that you followed is the true logic. I got to stop there, but I will be back again tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Klavan Show. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessela Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020.
1: You know, The Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about